0: Welcome to Chip Chat, an interview series that connects you with technology experts around the issues that industry is focused on today.
1: And now your host, Allison Klein. Welcome to Chip Chat. I'm Allison Klein. We're coming to you live from the Intel AI Day in San Francisco, and I'm delighted to have Riven Cohen with me, former co-host of Digital Nibbles and good friend. Hey, Reuven, how's it going?
0: It's great. I'm really happy to be back and doing the show with you today.
1: So, Riven, you've had a very interesting technology career. For those who have not listened to our previous programs, why don't you just give us a spin on your history and what you're doing these days?
0: Well, the uh, very much abridged version is cloud computing circa 2003. So, been in the space for quite a while. That ended up doing quite well. We ended up merging with a company called Virtustream. Virtustream ended up being sold to EMC. It's been a wild ride over the last, what, 15 years, but it turned out pretty well at the end of the day. Now, more recently, I've been getting more involved in the sort of nascent AI space, which is actually quite reminiscent of the early days of cloud computing.
1: It's a very good parallel. And you've been not just you know getting involved in this area, but you've also been writing about it. I saw a recent post on Huffington Post. Tell me what you think about the current stage of artificial intelligence and what you're seeing in the industry in terms of the development of advancements in this space? You know, there's,
0: there's two areas that I think are, are really interesting. You know, there's obviously the technological one where we have to build these systems, these systems that mimic sort of human activities. But then there's the actual sort of human impact of these systems that are hopefully augmenting our capabilities as humans and not replacing us Mm -hmm. in terms of the needs and things that we do. And there's this sort of dichotomy between the two, this fine line that we walk between, you know, is this making me a better, more practical, you know, version of myself? Or am I ultimately building something that replaces me?
1: You know, I think that it's interesting. I think that, you know, one way that I've looked at this is we've gone through various transitions, not talking about tech transitions, but just general transitions in society you know, industrial revolution would be an example. Computer age is another example and the automation of things. I think that this is the next one where, you know, society changes and evolves and adapts. Every time we do that, you know, people thought that the cotton gin would replace jobs. We found other things to do. We would approach work differently. I think that That might be the case here, too.
0: I think you're right. I think we're moving towards a level of enlightenment, hopefully, where we can spend more time on more important things. And technologies like this enable us to maybe make better use of our time so we're not focused on things that maybe don't matter.
1: I guess the question is, is what kind of transition is that going to be like for society? And I know that you wrote about this in your blog. Can you tell me about your perspective on that?
0: Well, I think that what we're seeing is some of the most basic level of sort of integration of these technologies. As I said before, this kind of augment of our capabilities. If you're looking at things like X.ai, for example, the ability to quickly schedule things, it's an incremental improvement. But in terms of performance and productivity, it makes a big difference. And I don't no longer have to go hire an executive assistant to do this thing. A bot can do it. That in itself makes me more productive and allows me to do it. And a lot of people will comment, oh, wow, who's who's Amy? Well, Amy's a bot.
1: Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> Where do you see this in terms of the types of industries that are embracing this technology and some of the early places that we're going to feel this technology maybe more advanced than things like Netflix recommendations or the more mundane, everyday things that we take for granted now.
0: You know, I think there's this human-computer interaction that's happening. When you go to Google, you're sort of saying, I want to learn about something. I want to know about something. It's still a fairly linear process. You know, and a list of results come up and you kind of, kind of select the best result for you. I think going forward, you're going to see results that are tailored specifically for you. It's going to know the nuances of what you need to know and why you need to know it and serve it a sort of unique version of the world and the information in the world just for you. And that's going to change the way you sort of have and access information. As an employee, that means that if I need something, the systems around me will adapt and provide that information if and when I need it, almost as a kind of sixth sense.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I think that that's going to really change things. You know, I don't need to go Google it. It's just there. Just I have it when I need it.
1: I think that we've all seen movie after movie about a common theme of the machines taking over. Obviously, human beings have a fundamental fear of lack of control. How do we integrate AI in your mind so that this becomes a positive good rather than something nefarious so that that is fearful?
0: That is the billion dollar question. And you're looking at the bright side, but one of my fears at this moment is the fact that when you look at how, how information is disseminated today, we don't even know when there's algorithms controlling our, our view of the world. Are we being influenced to vote a certain way? Are we being influenced to think a certain way? These algorithms have been optimized to sort of adapt and adjust and sort of paint a world. We're seeing that on things like Facebook, and we're seeing that in online advertising in various places. So I think the challenge that we have is, I don't want to be negative on it, because I think there is a lot of positive opportunities, but it is something we need to be aware of. And the fear is real, because it's a significant change in how we as a society, will actually interact with technology. So it's probably okay, it's probably good to be sort of questioning these technologies, and how we interact with them. Because then we open ourselves up to actually making it not enslave us, I Mm -hmm. guess.
1: When you decided to start engaging in this space, you know, you have a long history of cloud computing, what was it that drove you to take an interest? What were the things that really stood out for you? I'm
0: a hacker at heart. So after the the sale of the company and, you know, figuring out what I'm going to do with my life and all those sort of existential questions you have after you sell a company, who who knew that that was such an existential crisis? But I started looking at this this technology to manage things, you know, relatively mundane things like my investment in real estate. Mm -hmm. And so what I started doing was basically buying places I put in an Airbnb, and I realized that it was kind of a difficult task to sort of manage that sort of flow of the people who go in and out of these Airbnbs, so I create a bot. Essentially, the bot kind of communicates as a first line with the people who stay at these Airbnbs. They ask questions like, what's the Wi-Fi password, or which way to the beach? And those questions can be easily answered by a bot. But bots are stupid, so if It's a question that can't answer, it gets sent to me. And I either tell it how to answer it and remembers it for the next time, or I answer it directly. So again, it's kind of this augment to the things that I wanted to do, which sort of opened my eyes to this sort of use of this technology to make a better version of myself.
1: It's the bot roof. And uh, the bot roof is managing your properties. I like that. They don't even know
0: it. They're totally oblivious to the fact that the interaction that they thought they were having with me is actually just a text message bot.
1: When you look at areas, and I know that you've been spending some time at Intel AI Day today, where you see bigger opportunities, what are some of the ones that you think are the most interesting in terms of being able to change the way that we do things, the way that we solve big problems?
0: You know, there was this mention uh, briefly on sort of the farm example, I think I heard, where a lot of the farming activities are being highly automated. It makes sense. It's probably one of many areas that I think we're going to see additional layers of automation, transportation being an obvious one. Again, the, the question becomes, Yeah, I think there's 3 million truck drivers in the United States, What happens when 1.5 million of those are now no longer needed? But it does open up a whole variety of opportunities for increased performance and productivity in those sectors.
1: And then I think that the other area, you know, there was something in the keynote today about missing and exploited children and utilizing technology to address the problems of kids either getting kidnapped or being exploited somehow. That was interesting. And also just the scientific discovery that's possible in terms of detection of cancers, detection of disease, making more advancements in science that take some of those acute diseases and making them something that is chronic and treatable. That, to me, is quite interesting because it definitely is, to what you were talking about before, augments our experience, in this case the clinician, to have more data at their fingertips in terms of how they actually diagnose and treat a patient.
0: Take it a step further, do you even need a clinician to do the diagnosis anymore? Or is that first level, the routine aspects of medicine, can that all be automated? I don't know if all of it can be automated, but I would say a good portion of it could probably be automated to a point where, you know, the doctors, the surgeons and so forth are doing things that actually matter and not bogged down in the things that don't.
1: I mean, I would assume that somebody today would say, yeah, sign me up for someone testing my sore throat. And prescribing me an antibiotic, maybe not so much on a more serious challenge. I would like to talk to a clinician that might be aided by technology versus just handing over to technology. But I think that's a societal adjustment that's going to happen over time.
0: You know, a lot of these consultative professions would work well for this, because a lot of this is a sort of conversational human aspect of how you interact with someone. When you work with a tax accountant or lawyer, a lot of that is just back and forth conversation. Those first level sort of interactions can be with a virtual entity. Okay. And as technologies like virtual voice technologies take hold, you are not having to be able to tell that you're talking to a virtual representation of a person, you know, it sounds like Morgan Freeman. And for all (laughs) intents and purposes, it is Morgan Freeman, but it isn't.
1: I liked what you said in your blog. You said, it's Morgan Freeman, but if you don't like Morgan Freeman, it could be somebody else. And you can choose what kind of voice you want that interaction to be. That's an interesting way that you can see that AI will help personalize experiences in a way that they aren't today. What do you expect in this industry and in this moment in time in terms of the evolution?
0: We've talked about Moore's Law probably more than I can even count on our various podcasts over the years. And, and things are increasing, you know, in terms of productivity and pace of change. And there's been this talk of singularities and whatnot. But it's true. As technology increases, there seems to be an exponential increase in what happens next. Things that used to take 30 years take 10. And if that's what we look for in the future, things that took 10 may take 2.
1: It does definitely keep us busy at Intel. One final question for you, Ruve. When it comes to this topic, I am sure that folks are going to want to keep engaging with you. I know that you're going to keep writing. You're also going to be engaging with the industry. How can folks engage with you on the topic, and where can they find you?
0: Probably the easiest way to find me is on Twitter. I've got three letters, R-U-V. So I, I post all my various ideas and blog posts and so on there. So if you're interested in sort of engaging with me there, that's the best place to do it.
1: Fantastic. Well, Ruv, thanks so much for being on today. It's always a real pleasure.
0: I appreciate it.